It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As you know, I have a very healthy obsession with leaf litter beds in the wild and in my aquariums. The way that leaves and other materials accumulate in water courses such as streams has a profound influence on the lives of our fishes. Leaf litter beds form in what stream ecologists call meanders, which are stream structures that form when moving water in a stream erodes the outer banks and widens its valley, and the inner part of the river has less energy and deposits silt, or in our instance, leaves. There's a whole fascinating science to river and stream structure, and with so many implications for understanding how these structures and mechanisms affect fish population, occurrence, behavior, and ecology, it's well worth studying for our aquarium interpretation. Did you get the part where I mentioned that the lower energy parts of the water courses tend to accumulate leaves and sediments and stuff? It's logical, right? And it's interesting because, as we know, fishes and their food items tend to aggregate in these areas and embracing the theme of litter and botanical beds, or even wood placement in the context of a stream structure in the aquarium is kind of cool. In nature, the rain and winds also affect the depth and flow rates of many of the waters in this region. With the associated impacts mentioned already, as well as their influences on the stream structures like submerged logs, sandbars, rocks, etc., stuff gets redistributed constantly in the natural environment. Is there an aquarium analog for these processes? Well, sure. We might move a few things around now and again during maintenance, or perhaps the current or the fishes themselves act to redistribute and aggregate botanicals and leaves in different spots in our aquariums. And how we structure the more permanent hardscape features in our tanks has a profound influence on how botanical materials can aggregate. So rather than covering the whole bottom of your tank with leaves, wouldn't it be cool to create some sort of hardscape structure with driftwood, etc., to retain or keep these items in one place to create sort of a framework for a long-term organized specifically placed litter botanical bed you could build upon structure and replace leaves and botanicals in this framework like indefinitely sort of like what happens in those meanders and streams right how would fishes react when presented with deep leaf litter beds in one part of the aquarium would they prefer to reside there or would they simply forage there and stay in the more open areas of the aquariums what would what would happen would they spawn there Perhaps some fry would seek shelter there, right? Streams typically feature two interesting biotopes that we haven't really discussed in much detail here, and both of which are quite profoundly impacted by the seasonal rains. Pools, with slower current and a substrate covered mainly by deposits of leaf litter, detritus, and driftwood, and what are called riffles, defined as shallow sections of a stream with rapid current and a surface broken by gravel, rubble, or boulders, with a moderately fast-flowing current and mostly sandy bottom with tree roots, driftwood pieces, and small rocks and pebbles. Home to fishes like the darter kerosens, which I really love. Cool. I'm thinking of a cool niche biotope aquarium possibility here. These riffles are considerably more significant in the wet season, when the obvious impact of higher water volumes are present. In the Amazon, for example, you'll likely find an unexpected abundance of some species familiar to us as hobbyists in these riffles, species like pyrolea, 
hyphesobrycon and hemogrammas of various forms, even some nanostomas and the killifish rivulus, which is a jumper and an interesting one too. Some researchers have postulated that the higher presence of nocturnal predators in the pools adjacent to these more active riffles may increase the number of species that seek refuge in the riffles to avoid them. Makes sense. And rivulets, which usually live in more intermittent pools along the stream edges outside the mainstream channels, are normally found at night in these riffles. Like I said, they jump from water course to water course. It's interesting. Terrible if you're an aquarist. So protection from predators and survival is a powerful motivation for fishes to seek out these different habitats. Now granted, in the aquarium, we're almost guaranteed not to keep predators and prey in the same tank, at least not for long-term display purposes. But is there not something to be gained by replicating the environments that some of our aquarium fishes come from? Reduction of stress, for one thing, indeed survival. That's pretty important in the wild, so I'd imagine it's equally as important in the aquarium. And of course, in the aquarium, we're all about fostering natural behaviors, even if they're not necessary for survival. I can't hope but wonder if providing some of these more specific environmental conditions in concert with stuff like water chemistry and the presence of materials like leaves and wood could facilitate greater possibilities for spawning long-term health and greater lifespan in our fishes. Stream and river bottom composition is affected by things like regional weather, current, geology, the surrounding dry lands, and a host of other factors, all of which can make planning your next aquarium even more interesting if you take them into consideration. If we focus on streams, it's important to note that the volume of water entering the stream and the depth of the channels it carves out help in part determine the amount and size of sediment particles that can be carried along and thus comprise the substrate. And of course, the composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream, affecting the composition and ecology in many, many ways. Permanent streams will often have different volume and material composition, usually finely packed sands and gravels with lots of smooth stones, than the more intermittent streams, which are the result of inundation caused by rain, etc. So-called ephemeral streams typically occur only immediately after rain events, which means they usually don't have any fish in them unless they're washed in from a more permanent water course. The latter two stream types are typically more affected by leaves, botanical debris, branches, and other materials. In the Amazon reason, you know I was headed back that way, right? It sort of works both ways, with the rivers influencing the surrounding land and the land giving some of the materials back to the rivers. The extensive lowland areas bordering the river and its tributaries, known as the Varzeas, or floodplains, are subject to annual flooding, which helps foster enrichment of the aquatic environment. Although many streams derive their food base from leaves and organic matter, there are a lot of other materials present that contribute to their structure. Think along those lines when skimming your next aquarium. Ask yourself what factors would contribute to the bottom composition of the area you're taking inspiration from. You'll see a variety of bottom compositions in Amazonia and other streams, ranging from the aforementioned leaves and detritus and stream margins, to sand and silt over cobbles, to boulders covered in algae, to fine patch gravels, or even just silt. You might even say that rivers and streams act like nature's sediment sorting machines as they move debris, geological materials, and botanicals along their courses. And along the way, varying ecological communities are assembled, with all sorts of different fishes being attracted to different niches. In streams, Studies indicate that an increase in species richness is positively related to the habitat complexity and shelter availability, as well as current velocity and stream size, and that substrate, depth, and current speed are among the most important physical attributes and features in many bodies of water which contribute to the formation of all these microhabitats, all with fascinating ecology, environmental parameters, and fish population diversity. Stuff we barely even tapped on in the aquarium world. 
The implications for this information for Aquarius are profound and fascinating. And understanding, interpreting, and applying some of these numbers and concepts and ideas can potentially lead to some fascinating breakthroughs in aquarium work. However, we have to get out of our own way first. We're talking about taking the lead from nature, looking at, at it as it is, and about using this stuff to create aesthetically compelling, dynamic, and physically functional aquariums. There's always the danger of going too far and falling into that cliche of closed-minded superficial replication that is, in my opinion, consuming the aquascape and by its aquarium world. So use the information you find with a little bit of interpretation, but make the use of it nonetheless. The look and the function working hand-in-hand -hand to create a replication of nature far more authentic than what we've done in the past in the hobby. It's amazing. And what's required to execute this? Patience, a long-term view, observation, understanding. You've got this. Stay creative. Stay enthusiastic, stay observant, stay patient, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.